This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 108 for Thursday, 31st of October, 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host Tom Ballard. Welcome back, Tom. Hello, Jeremy. Pleasure to be back. Hello, comrades. Now, I, I hear that your podcasting enterprises at the moment are largely engaged with talking with... No, maybe not largely. They're, they're occasionally engaged with talking with <laughs> the nation's... Worst people. Once. Well, I yes. I remember the Lyle Shelton one too. So at least at least twice some of the nation's worst the worst people. Yes. And so you've decided to come onto a podcast today where we can discuss things in a friendly fashion where we can build on a shared understanding of humanity as a thing that, you know, perhaps we could have empathy for and work on, you know? That kind of thing. Yeah, this will be different to my conversation with Sam Newman, I reckon. I think we'll come at some different angles and we'll reach some different ground. But uh, I don't know. I've got to put a podcast out every week, you know? I've got to fill some time. It's a two-parter as well. So oh. next week, if you want to hear more from Sam Newman, you can, uh, you can hear part two where he really, really uh, makes his thoughts known on the Muslim immigrant population in this country. It's, uh, it's good stuff. All right. Should I record a podcast of me just listening to that and ranting? <laughs> I'm no. sure that I'll get that podcast via text messages from you or something regardless. So, yeah, go right. for it if you like. Well, look, I feel, I feel that we need to be more compassionate to people who are willing to hear out the views that are incredibly hostile to the basic humanity of marginalised people. For example, we see on the front page of The Australian Today, Claire O'Neill, a Labor frontbencher from the Labor right. She wants us to be more considerate to people who feel oppressed by what is vaguely referred to as political correctness, Tom. Um, Uh-oh. Yeah, no, you, can, you can tell that, that Claire O'Neill is definitely on the right track by the virtue of the fact that the Australian is willing to print her remarks pretty much in full on the front page. It's, like, it's, a, it's a good sign as a, quote, progressive. Like, the headline is, as progressives, we got it wrong. Tom, are the Labour right progressives? Do they get to call themselves progressives and speak for progressives? Because I feel, as a progressive person, no, they don't. No, no. If you're on the Labour right, you're probably not... Uh, top of the list when it comes to progressive ideas in this country. Um, I think there's a very strong argument that a bunch of people on the Labour right are more conservative than those on the left wing of the Liberal Party, to be honest. Um, so this is an interesting take. She was like hailed as like rising star future Prime Minister material, right? A lot of people very much on board with Miss Claire, yeah? I hadn't heard that, but that's quite quite terrifying. Um, the, the remarks that the Oz <laughs> quote her saying... Um, and I, I won't do their summary of it. I'll just say, okay, so this is, this is a speech that she's supposedly going to give. There is a culture developing in the progressive movement. And by the way, Tom, feel free to interrupt at any point and say, what the hell are you talking about? What absolute bullshit? Or, you know, anything else that's an appropriate response to what she's saying. Um, where membership is granted with a box of ideas. And if you don't accept one of the ideas in the box, you do not merely have a different opinion. You are obviously wrong, probably stupid, and possibly subhuman. I think that's 
classic classic lefty you know oh you disagree with me on one thing you're subhuman hmm. is that tom does that ring any bells does that sound- oh oh you dis you disagree on whether or not we should lock up innocent people in prison islands oh oh i guess i i'm not progressive then am i I guess I don't meet your standards of progressivism because I believe in these prison islands and I think that's fine. And I also don't give a shit about working people or people living in poverty and whether we should help them at all as a Labour Party. I suppose that doesn't make me very left-wing, you freaking Gestapo Nazi. What? I can't believe you're out there criticising me for the things I say that are harmful to other people. You're in a political party. A political party is a collection of people who agree on some basic core political ideology and try to fight for them and enact them through policy and government and politics, you weirdo. That's the whole name of the game. Yeah, I I feel like it's not illegitimate um, if somebody is saying something really regressive to say, you're wrong on that and this is why. I don't feel like, I don't think it's, you know, it's what's the tolerance of intolerance paradox? The thing of like, well, sure. You're in our party and you're espousing um, literal gulags on offshore islands to punish refugees. Sure. Um, but why can't we a broad party? Be a broad party that like, both supports the humanity of refugees and also torturing them. Can't we be a broad party that covers both of those things? And How are you as a person who believes in the humanity <laughs> of refugees? Why are you not okay with me, just my different honest opinion, that they're subhumans who should be persecuted? Yeah, I mean, why don't we agree to disagree? It's so so divisive. Can't we all come together and agree to torture refugees? Like, why can't that be a moment of unity for Australia? Subhuman is, feels like a bit of projection there too. Like, it's not like that the people who are like, let's can we treat these marginalised groups with basic humanity and recognise their their rights as people and protect them and stand up for them? I feel like the people being treated as subhuman. Other people being having their rights taken away on offshore gulags, things like that. Not the people who are turning around to a right wing person in a left wing environment, or sorry, right wing person in general, and saying, "I disagree with you, and I think what you're saying is horrible and harmful." I'm not saying you're subhuman. I'm saying you're treating other people as subhuman, and you should stop doing that because it's bad. Mm. I feel there's some projection in her remark. <laughs> It's just it's just sort of a lot of crumbling. It seems going on across the board. Um, Anthony Albanese. Sort of saying, hey, casual uh, work is just here to stay, and we're just gonna, the IR laws are gonna have to adapt to, to fold to that. So, yeah, all those union rights, and you know how we love unions, and unions are great, and all the hard won, um, you know, rights and uh, working conditions that union people and labor people fought for over decades. Yeah, that's just gonna have to change because, uh, you know, Uber's not gonna listen to us. So, we're gonna have to bend over on that one because people today, for whatever reason, are um, you know are happy to work in horrible conditions and deserve fewer rights at work just because times have changed and that's and Twitter's a thing now so <laughs> you don't deserve sick leave or to you know not work yourself to death every week. Look, I think as as the inheritors of the great labour tradition, it's fair enough that they're taking a consistent approach because as we all know, the people back when the Labour Party started were very much taking the view of look, it's pretty unpopular to be fighting for labour rights. The national media doesn't really like it very much. Um, so why are we even bothering to start a Labour Party? Let's all give up and go home and do nothing instead. Yeah. Let's all join the Conservatives. That's what they were saying on the, the Broken Hill Miners' track, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. And see, what you need to do is you need to listen to the bosses <laughs> and you need to convince them with arguments, yeah. Jeremy. The classic Labour tradition. That will bring them around to see that if we just listen to them, the classic labor tradition of listening to them, hearing where mm. they're coming from, mm. finding empathy, maybe find maybe we need to employ more empathy consultants for um, you know union officials to listen to their bosses. We'll come back to that. That's a uh, that's a, that's a preview. <laughs> Hot sizzle.
Yes, and uh, find out more about what they think. So, I mean, I mean you know, she's endorsing uh, Albo here. She's saying there's no one more authentic in Australian uh, politics than Anthony Albanese. So she's trying to, I guess, some capital over the perceived authenticity of Albo. Although I would suggest that at this point he's becoming <laughs> the least authentic that he's ever been. You know, when he was in tears talking about how he got into politics to fight mm. the Tories during the Kevin Rudd leadership. Like, that to me felt authentic. That felt real. I felt like, okay, I've got a sense of who this guy is and what his mission is and what the tradition and uh, what he's inherited as part of the labor movement is about it's about fighting uh tory mindsets getting them out of power and winning victories for working people i get that he clearly emotionally connected to that now he's got the top job and that guy's just fucked off and he's miles away from authentic hey 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 if you can describe to me something more authentic than being photographed next to peter dutton and scott morrison with your thumbs up and your arms around them yeah like i mean that's pretty authentic right there i mean what a what a bloke you can have a barbecue with that guy because he's completely inoffensive and won't in any way argue with anything no matter how horrible oh sorry if you're a pinko greenie he will argue with you but if you're not yeah no he's he he can fit in anywhere with Scummer. He could be up there with Ellen DeGeneres and George Bush just watching the game, having a great time. He'd have no problem having lunch, having going to see a game with George W. Bush. Or, or Trump, probably. No. One of the things that you always note in the remarks, whenever they're having a whinge about political correctness, they're very vague about it. They're very most of the time they don't even go any further than that. They they won't they won't specify what they mean. And we had a chat I had a chat with um Cam Smith on this last uh, subject last time, which was um it feels like that's for two reasons. One is, if you specify what it is, it'll highlight that you're an arsehole, because the thing you actually want to say is pretty indefensible. But if you just smother it with political correctness, anyone who has had a thing that they wanted to say in their, with their own prejudices and somebody said, shouldn't say that, they will be on board with you, even though the thing you want to say is actually quite different. But if you just couch it all as political correctness, it can bring all of the people who have horrible prejudices, all different types of horrible prejudices, together under the one banner of resenting having ever been told shit that was a horrible thing to say and they can all come together whereas if you specify the horrible thing you want to say which is undoubtedly a minority thing to say now yeah it'll kind of alienate people listening to you so one you don't want to say it for that reason and two you never want to define what it is because of that whole sense of bringing those people together because as soon as you if you're wanting to say horribly sexist things that will alienate you from the racist women who want to say horribly racist things now together you can join together in the great banner of hating being told Maybe you shouldn't say that shit. But if you if you specify what it is you want to say, it might sort of you might there might be some divisions that will arise between that movement. So they're very careful never to specify. In this particular case, Claire sort of hints at it. She's not specific about it, but she sort of brings them down into categories. So she gives in the article she gives, which is from her speech, she gives two examples. Not everyone with a concern about the immigration rate is a bigot. Not everyone with a hesitation about changing gender roles is sexist. Not every social change is inarguably a good one. Yeah, okay, not, clearly not every social change is inarguably a good one, but you're fudging there because um, I think you're referring to, like, humanity for trans people or something, but you haven't specified anything. So, like, it is definitely true that there are some social changes that aren't good ones. I suspect that the one you're referring to is a good one, and you should... Sh- but you're, and there's a reason why you won't specify it. But those first two ones. Tom, this is probably not a fair thing to ask you to do because... I feel like your answer will be like mine. No, no, that is exactly what it is. But mate, let, let's pretend pretend you're Claire O'Neill for a minute. Put yourself in the mindset. Oh God. Okay. Yep. I'm into character. Okay. Can you tell me? Give me a, a a concern about the immigration rate that isn't bigoted, and a hesitation about changing gender roles that isn't sexist. Um, a concern about the immigration rate that isn't bigoted. Yeah, and th- actually that's changed too because the original version I'm pretty sure said racist. But anyway, anyway, bigot. Yeah. 
isn't bigoted and isn't uh, sexist. Uh, I think an unbigoted view about the immigration rate would be something like, hey, I agree in the non-discriminatory immigration policy of Australia when it comes to uh, visas and such, but... But it isn't non-discriminatory. Hang on. It, it isn't non-discriminatory. It specifically discriminates on the basis of what country you're coming from. But your ability to get visas massively depends on where you're coming from. If you're coming from Afghanistan, you don't get a nice holiday visa. Right. True. Okay. If you're coming from Canada, it's piss easy. It is easy depending where you're coming from. Right. Gotcha. I suppose, I suppose you could be you could, you could have an idea that that the that, um, immigration should just refuse all foreigners no matter their no matter their race, <laughs> but I don't think anybody has that position, um, and and even that in and of itself is is inherently racist, whether Australia and Australian is a race or not. But like simply being like no people from overseas who are predominantly of a different race to me shouldn't be able to come here. That's still inherently a racist position. All right, I'm concerned about the immigration rate because. I think that there are concerns about infrastructure spending and the, the speed at which our cities are growing due to shitty investment in public infrastructure over decades and decades. Um, I don't uh, have any concern about the cultural or racial or ethnic makeup of immigrants, but uh, I don't believe that governments have been good in investing in infrastructure enough to support the current immigration levels. Is that something? But that's not... That's not a concern about building, about governments failing to build infrastructure. That's not a concern. Like, that's immigration doesn't harm that. That's immigration, if anything, is provides the labour by which that infrastructure is built. If anybody who's coming to the conclusion that that um, we need to restrict immigration because we can't build infrastructure is like that's okay. If that was honestly a complaint, the reason. I don't feel that you could that could withstand up to very much argument before it was pointed out that no we we can do both um, and the fact that you're focusing on on the immigration oh, yeah. part of that equation and not the building infrastructure part it clearly indicates that one is that that is an excuse for the overall objection to immigration and that the reason you're giving is not an honest one. Look, it's very rarely <laughs> is that argument being put at, um, you know, true Aussie patriots uh, rallies or whatever the, whatever the hell they're called. Um... Oh, also, immigration rate is tiny. Like, so if you've concerned about it, there's got to be something other than, oh, they're, they're flooding our infrastructure. I have, yeah, serious problems with Claire O'Neill, you know, try to make this argument in the current context when the fucking Liberal, with the Coalition Party is in government, when uh, One Nation is, you know, a, a serious political force uh, in the context of Fraser Anning's comments and stuff like, no, I want my party, my progressive, so-called progressive party of the left to be a uh, champion against fascism and racism and clearly draw a line to Australia's uh, horrifically racist immigration history and a very strong sense out there of, uh, of, of anti-immigrant sentiment, uh, which is tied into the current political moment. They should be a bulwark against that, but of course they're not going to do that. I think that, you know, there are leftist critiques of immigration levels um, there, which, which go back to... I mean, there, there are lots of people on the right or lots of neoliberal capitalists who are very, very happy with a big Australia and very, very happy for immigration levels to get larger and larger, uh, to go up and up. Um, yeah, as, long, as long as they have special visas where they can be exploited. They're not keen on them having actual workplace protections. Like yes. the pro Whenever anybody's complaining about um, immigrant labour undercutting local labour, that's only because 
they don't have the same conditions. If we made sure that they the same things applied, then they're not undercutting anything. And in fact, the only place you can undercut our labour, if you had decent labour laws that applied to everyone, regardless of your immigration status, the only way you could undercut us would be to do it overseas, in which case you still bet the best thing for workers here is for that labour to be here where the Australian rules apply. Mm. Um, but the, can you... Okay, that immigration... There are cons- versions that you can put up to make it sound like it's about something else, although I don't think they withstand. They, you can run them for very long. In the same way as complaining about refugees coming on boats, I don't think you can do that for more than five minutes without having to say something racist. And I still challenge anyone from the right to come on and, uh, and defend uh, what we do to refugees without saying something incredibly racist because you can't do it because the only reason we treat them that way, we, we would not accept that being mm. applied to white english-speaking people and we don't south african farmers for example yeah yeah <laughs> but the, the line here i don't i don't think there's any way for, for her to back this one up not everyone with a hesitation about changing gender roles is sexist what does that mean what can you say what hesitation can you have about changing gender roles that isn't sexist not possible can you i can't it's, think of any it's very bizarre because if she's talking about changing gender roles like our changing conception of identity when it comes to like trans rights or you know breaking down this binary view of gender the term sexist is an is a weird one to go with like as opposed to say transphobic or you know homophobic yeah. or anything like that so if he's, if she's literally talking about like women having a more, more prominent role in the workforce and having the right to vote and stuff. I mean, yeah, you're really, you're really skating on thin ice. And I would suggest that the people with concerns about changing gender roles in society might be looking at you, Claire O'Neill, and thinking, I don't want to talk to you. You should be in the kitchen. It's impossible to know what she means because she doesn't specify it. Right. But, but just on the broad term that she gives, it defies reason, doesn't it? Like, there's not nothing... I can't imagine anything that would fit into that category and not be... Sorry, they're transphobic things, but people aren't going to be criticising them for being sexist. But I can't see anything where you'd be being criticised for being sexist regarding changing gender roles where you wouldn't be being sexist. Like, who is throwing... What is is that back to the Ida Buttrose thing? Is like I used to like it when Frank Packer used to say the stuff that I can't tell you what he used to say, but that kind of stuff. And now the modern workforces are not as nice because that kind of stuff, which I'm, again, not specifying. Is it that... What is she talking about it's bizarre it's overly vague as you say it's dog whistling and it is trying to i don't know out coalition the coalition it's trying to out tory the tories and you're never going to win that game and all you got to do is lose any perspective of people believing in an actually progressive labor party and winning back the disaffected voters that have gone to the greens or other parties and who clearly see you guys as frauds it's saying stuff that you think people want to hear. People who aren't going to vote for you anyway, because if that's what they're into, there are um, other parties out there who do this a lot more convincingly than you guys do. And worse than that, it's not even just that they don't win those people across. They reinforce those prejudices. They reinforce those lines. Those people are like, oh well, if even the labor, you know, even the labor party are agreeing with us on that, like it normalizes that kind of opinion, and in fact encourages them to go further. Like it's it's worse than just not winning them that vote at the next election. It's it's pushing the debate, pushing the rhetoric, pushing mm. the the thinking in a way that is, yes, electorally poisonous to Labor, but also mm. incredibly harmful. Not a fan, Claire. Do another draft of your speech, please. <laughs> she, I do want to. I do want to ask you one thing. The, the bit that she ends it, and like the bit where she's trying to defend it, is is on the basis of what she's heard after the election of door knocking, about people feeling talked down to. She says. Um, one of the most upsetting things I've heard in speaking with people after the election, especially in the regions, was how we sounded on the doorstep. 
The impression of many was that progressives were talking down to them. I know this is not what was intended, but if our voters hear sanctimony, that is what matters. So, Tom, on that subject, how do we how do we do this when we're fundamentally, if somebody is like, if we replace a trans issue, I mean that's the modern culture war that we're having um, based on this religious discrimination bill, but but replace the issues that we're currently talking about with say somebody who is incredibly anti-Semitic at the door, and they were saying a whole lot of horrifically anti-Semitic things to you. Now, how is it that somebody is supposed to respond to that? without that person feeling talked down to. <laughs> like, yeah, people will say horrific things, and it's just as bad if they're saying transphobic stuff than it is if they're saying anti-Semitic stuff, or if they're saying, like, these are all prejudices. So if Labor, if Labor's response is, well, look, if somebody's saying hateful, damaging stuff, you know, we've got to, we've got to respect their, their different view and not make them feel like we're lecturing them about that horrible thing that they're saying that's harmful that we don't in any way agree with and think maybe they should rein it in. Like, I... What what? I feel like Labor has to be prepared to be like, no, that's pretty harmful. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You don't have legitimate concerns in other things. But that thing you're saying, we do think that's a bit harmful. I'm not saying you're a bad person overall. I'm just saying that you've been potentially misled. But anyway, that that thing is a thing that perhaps you're overstating how much of a problem it is for you, and maybe you should be focusing on more of the things that you know, I would suggest the stuff that you know that the libs are doing that's going to harm you economically, perhaps, or if you're not sympathetic to the plight of trans people, you could at least. You know, be neutral on them fighting for basic humanity. Like, I feel like you can't. There's got to be a line at which, uh, which you are prepared to say, okay. Admittedly, when I respond to a person saying, you know, racist shit, they might feel talked down to. But that's. I mean, if they were saying Nazi shit, you wouldn't have a problem with me. It's the the only thing that you're objecting to now, Claire, is that you're trying to say that this shit that you wouldn't accept. Like, I'd like somebody to flat out ask her. If they came to the door and they were saying Nazi shit, directly Nazi shit, do you think Labour door knockers should be willing to say, no, we think that's wrong, even if the person feels talked down to? Because I bet Claire would say, yeah, of course. Cool. So if they're saying transphobic shit, should they, the Labour person be able to say, no, that's really harmful, even at the risk of them feeling talked down to? Because that's what Claire's saying they should be worried about, in which case the only thing that's distinguishing there is that Claire O'Neill doesn't think that, that equality for trans people is worthy of the same protection as, you know, not being not racial vilification against Jewish people. She's basically ranking types of oppression and saying that there's some that she doesn't care about. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, again, very hard to tell or very uh, impossible to argue because we don't know what she's talking about there. She's speaking in very vague terms. But the implication from her uh, take seems to be that we should, you know, limit one's ambition for progressive change and for the kind of political vision that we're putting out there to people to, and to voters uh, for, the, for the fear of people feeling like they're being talked down to. I mean, the answer to this is don't talk down to people, but believe in something and stand for something progressive and, and radically different, offer people something. I mean, Bernie Sanders doesn't talk down to people. Jeremy Corbyn doesn't talk down to people. Um, they legitimately sketch out a vision they have for the country and how it's, you know their values are embedded in that vision and how they want people to get there. It's entirely possible to do both. Yeah, just... What door-knocking conversation uh, to, to ordinary people, quote-unquote, the ordinary Australian voter, is leading you into a situation where you're scolding anyone or telling anyone off to any kind of political advantage or what have you. If someone starts doing Nazi shit, I'd say, I don't know, maybe leave the House. They're not going to vote Labour. <laughs> but I think what she's saying is that, that if there's somebody saying transphobic shit, oh, I really object to this idea of uh, teaching kids that they can be the gender that they identify as different from their, their biological gender or oh, oh, these 37 genders things or whatever. I don't know what that bullshit. Um, they, 
if somebody's saying that shit, you need to uh, yeah yeah you need to be able to talk with to them with respect as a fellow human being and try and persuade them like well that might have been mis- misrepresented. Mm. But I, and I, I find it hard to believe that any Labor person's at the front door going, "You're an evil person. Don't bother voting for us. We don't care about you. Shame <laughs> on you. Shame on you." Like, no, Labor people wouldn't be doing that anyway. But yeah, but that's, I mean, that's that's a question of, like, political strategy and how you engage people and what the role of door knocking and how door knocking works. Her implication seems to be, hey, we should change our policies or we should yeah, exactly. hide those parts, take those bits out of the agenda. Because it's know? not the method of communication. We've lost that fight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, she's, she's like, it's not that we're portraying something, somebody might have said something in an aggressive way at some door knock or something, which seems weird. But, um, yeah, she's saying, no, no, the message. We just need to give up on the message because simply advocating for trans people feels like talking down to the people who don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's You need to do it. Well, and isn't that the fundamental whole – the whole thing about Labor at that election and, and how they're responding to it now? Their whole response right now is our, me- our policy platform was the problem. I mean, yes, there are parts of the policy platform that are huge problems, like you know, brutalizing refugees, like all the stuff where they agree with the libs. That's pretty much a problem. But they're, they're like, the stuff where we didn't agree with the libs, that's the problem, not the fact that we failed to sell it. Like, well, you know, what's the Simpsons line? You, know, you tried, you didn't succeed, so give up, no point wasting any more of your time. We failed to persuade the commercial media as to the benefits of, I don't know, ending a, a franking credit cash rort that the rich, as in the people who own TV stations, benefit from and we failed to be able to persuade people we failed to persuade people that that was actually money that was coming from them to other people from ordinary workers from pensioners to the rich that money was coming out of the budget going to people who are a lot richer than you you've never heard about franking credit cash rebate before because you're not getting it Mm. they are labor failed to sell it that doesn't mean it can't be sold it just means you did a shit job of selling it this time do better next time and their entire response to the election is um, oh well, I guess we just have to vote with you know, the Liberals won, so we, why don't we just adopt all of their policies? Mm. Clearly, people like the Liberal the Liberal platform. Let's just adopt it. Mm. What's the point of politics? Why have any more elections? Yeah, pointless. Meanwhile, the Libs do think that they need to have a have a better understanding of other people. Um, unusually, now, uh, admittedly, it's not. Um, the poor or the people who that they're oppressing uh, because Scott Morrison certainly has no interest in empathy for them. Mr Speaker, I will not engage in the unfunded empathy of the Labor Party, Mr Speaker. Okay, so he's not interested in, in unfunded... Oh, Tom. This podcast is all about diversions and, and tangents, but how good is the word unfunded as used by the Liberals? It's great. All it means is a thing we don't like. Like... You could literally say unfunded. We've been in deficit. We're still in deficit. It's like $700 million. You could say any f- policy is unfunded in the sense that they don't have the money for it, but they don't apply it to their $158 billion of tax cuts. They don't apply it to, you know, sending money off to uh, drought-affected farmers or something. Something they like, hey, this is why, this is why we could take, took the money from the poor. But as soon as something they don't like, it's like unfunded. That's fu- that's funded empathy. See, that's in, that's the funded empathy stuff. The stuff that they put money towards. And it's always great, just you know, putting a dollar value to a you know human emotion. Funded empathy, funded compassion. It's great. But you know, if it's unfunded, then it's worthless and pointless and stupid. 
and it never will be funded because it's unfunded and it's in that category. And if you're talking about funded empathy, unfunded empathy for uh, people on Newstart or whatever, I mean, you're ridiculous and you're a hippie communist and uh, you don't know how the economy works or how a budget works, you see, because it's unfunded. So it's not going to happen and it's pointless. Well, say, say um, all of the crap that the Libs were selling before the election was true and that the Labor was going to do $387 billion of extra taxes, which is bullshit, but okay. Say that was true. Then it's funded. New start is like $12 billion. You could double it, triple it. You could, hang on, what's 12 into 387? It's a lot. You could do that. <laughs> like, this idea that it's unfunded is just absurd. Anyway, okay, so we're going to focus on the thing. But yeah, I just like people to be really alert to the word unfunded because it never, it doesn't make any sense. Everything is unfunded while there's a deficit and anything can be funded if you raise funds for it, for example, with the things that the, the revenue that, Labor was going to do and now doesn't have because they voted with the Libs to take it out of the budget. But anyway, did you see, Tom, uh, and, and I, I say that ludicrously given that you've got a running sheet, but did you see that Scummo and the Libs have paid $190,000 for a consultant uh, to explain to them how to empathise with farmers? How has the social licence strategy assisted the ARTC and the department in its consultation with affected landowners and communities along the route? Uh, if... Uh, there are a number of areas, but uh, three key areas come to mind. One is around empathy, around getting the, um, the right tone of voice um, uh, to deal with landowners. Wow, what a great deal. <laughs> All empathy must go at the low, low price of $190,000. I like that it's suddenly important to have the empathy, but when they're landowners. <laughs> These are landowners. They've <laughs> earned your empathy. They're not like peasants who are renting somewhere. They no. own the land. Yes. We've got to talk with them with respect right. and empathy. Because they own land. They're not scumbags. No, they're landowners. Yeah. yeah. If you're a renter. Really, they're the only ones who should vote. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Okay. So it's a, it's a consulting firm. And, and we know this already, but there is just so many insane rorts of like crazy consultant fees for a range of different projects. But they're building the inland rail. And they got this company to tell them how to empathise with people who are worried about this um, inland rail from Brisbane to Melbourne. Um, and look, God, I wish tonight it was still on air because this we'd probably do half an hour on this. The idea that the government needs to pay people almost 200 grand to tell them what humans are and how love works and what is empathy and how do you talk to someone and figure out um, emotions. This is wild stuff. Tom, are you saying that you don't have empathy for the people who need to pay a lot of public money to learn about empathy? <laughs> Why can't you understand where they're coming from? What are you suggesting? They should, they should like, go and talk to people themselves? What if those people are smelly, Tom? True. What if they're smelly? What if they live a long way away? Yeah. No, that's, that's fair enough. I, I believe when they paid um, this fee, uh, the workers' hearts... Uh, grew three sizes bigger on that very day, <laughs> which is a beautiful, a great outcome. That's a really good return on investment for these empathy advisors. So congratulations. I guess it is working. That is your you know tax money at work, and that's uh, working out great. $190,000. That's a shitload of empathy, Jeremy, I've got to say. That's quite a lot. Maybe um, the government could also invest in some empathy advisors to people who are insisting on climbing Uluru. Uh, we're really trying to squeeze in that last climb before the uh, deadline was introduced. I reckon that, that seems to me to be an empathy deficit. 
in the middle of the country there uh, from quite a few people who, even though they respect the Inangu people, they totally respect it and they hear it, but they still want to climb it in like a respectful way. Um, those people I reckon could do with a bit of consulting and uh, when it comes to empathy and trying to see something from other people's points of view. Just an idea. Oh, uh, okay. So I thought you, you were asking for the, the government might need to have some empathy to, to try and understand those people. I was going to point out that uh, Andrew Laming, uh, one of the government MPs, was in fact one of the last people off Uluru. So uh, they could just talk to him if they wanted to understand where his mindset was coming from. But no, in terms of him understanding... Yeah, no, I think you probably need a lot more than 190,000. I think you'd probably need to... You know that scene in uh, Clockwork Orange where they sort of tie uh, McIntyre down and hold his eyes open <laughs> and they play... I, I feel like Lavi might need... Yeah. Um, and and the, the galling thing about it from them is that even even if you took their arguments about, you know, it's, it's a natural wonder... Um, it shouldn't belong to anybody. We should respect, you know, with no human beings. We're, we're actually really quite hippie about this. Uh, human beings should not be able to uh, own. Nobody should own this natural wonder and, and get to tell other people what to do with it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, here's a bunch of natural wonders that we want to mine the shit out of yeah. uh, and dig holes through like the reef and stuff. But the Uluru, that's there for all humanity to enjoy however the humanity likes to do it. Mm. But the Great Barrier Reef, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Dredge holes through the middle of it for a coal mining. But yeah, um, I, I feel like... They're not entirely consistent with their rhetoric. And also the whole thing of they're like, no, no, we, we do respect the indigenous people. We just don't think that they own the rock. But you're like, your whole thing is fighting against them having even bloody constitutional recognition. You don't want to do anything that improves their lives. Like, you're like, yeah, but this is just symbolism. Yeah, but there's a whole lot of really practical things that you could be doing that you don't give a shit about either. Like, nothing that you're saying is consistent. Also, these, these people seem to have a very fluid concept of property rights uh, when it comes yes. to... You can't really own a rock, man, but you definitely can own uh, a large swaths of land that we uh, own as a result of invading this country and uh, you know disenfranchising and stealing land from the original inhabitants and they're, you know, dis- disenfranchising their descendants. We definitely own that land and they don't have a right to uh, claim yeah, that yeah. stuff. No, don't worry about that. But when this rock that I want to climb or um, hit a golf ball off like Sam Newman did, you know, that's all fine. Oh, you're freaking kidding me. Yeah, yeah. He did? He did. Well, he pretended to do it anyway. But in a respectful way. In a respectful in way. In a respectful way, yeah, yeah. He was against people leaving any rubbish or uh, leaving any nappies up there. He recognised that that was disrespectful, but climbing it was totally fine. And he thinks that it hasn't been sacred until like uh, 10 years ago, I think, until PC really kicked in. That's when the sacredness of the rock uh, really uh, really came to light. Man, it's going to freak him the hell out when somebody shows him like footage of even the past from like, even just since we've had cameras, people making those points a long way back. Like, yes, admittedly, there's no footage of people doing it 40,000 years ago, mm. but I feel like I feel like his 10-year claim is really easily disproven really fast. Yeah. Oh, Sam. Also, I'm used to see, uh, did you see the group of Indigenous people who were like, right, we're going to climb up the uh, side of Parliament House. Um, and by climb, I mean walk up the lawns that were specifically designed for that very purpose. Like, we, sp- the whole yeah. point of the design of Parliament House, those lawns that go down the side, is so that the politicians aren't above us, we can walk over them. And then they've used um, terrorism as an excuse to block that off, uh, which is bullshit. And, if we, and look, I am, I am not on board with the climbing ban on Parliament House. I feel Parliament has. Everybody should be able to walk all over it, and the symbolism of that is really important. Yeah. Um, but yes, did you see the footage on, on YouTube? We can't have you climb it today. This is Commonwealth land in here. You can't go in there. That would be subject to the Oh, this is Commonwealth land? Yes. Do you meet? This is our land before you put this heap of shit on it. You can't really own Parliament House, man. You know, it does. It belongs to all of us. Well, hypothetically, it bloody does, actually. It really does belong to all of us. 
that I mean, it more belongs to the people who actually that was an indigenous meeting area beforehand, who were never compensated for the you know for the for the Commonwealth of Australia pinching it from them and saying no, that's ours. In fact, they didn't just pinch it from them; they destroyed the hill and built a parliament house like in place of the hill. So like there was actually something there that may have had some sacred um, you know some traditional value to the people who were there first, uh, and we just went. <laughs> bulldoze it and build a giant modern modern uh, i don't cons- i don't think it's a monstrosity but yes i i feel like the level of respect that we've paid for the people who were there first not great not the best probably could have done better we do that acknowledgement all the time where we also give a shout out to the anzacs and the diggers and everything yes. I mean, that's enough sorted oh my god yes scummo now adding adding a so if, if he's contempt for and i know he wasn't there for the um closing ceremony about uh closing the climate um Uluru. but yeah yeah so you've obviously seen this remark that he's, he's adding and i i hadn't been aware that he was doing this but but popping in a bit of um support the troops into every uh, acknowledgement of country. So basically, if he's like, well, I can't quite get away with getting rid of the acknowledgement of country, but I can be a complete dick and try and pretend that it's equivalent to, you know, supporting the troops mm. and some right-wing bullshit there. It's wild stuff. That's nice, isn't it? Did it warm your heart? Yeah, it was great. Oh, boy. He's our leader. Is he? Is he, though? Or is he just the person whose party has a one-seat majority in parliament that may <laughs> or may not go through the whole term? Not my PM. <laughs> Hashtag. Well, talking of things that we could do better, uh, I and I can't speak. I, I, I can't lecture anybody else about this because I also wasn't there on the weekend. Although that is for various family reasons that I didn't have much of a choice about. But did you say, Tom? There was a protest in Melbourne on the weekend against the religious discrimination bill, and not great turnout. No, not 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 the best that I feel like. But I, but I don't feel like this is. I don't feel like the progressive community is fired up in this the way that it was over marriage equality, even though this is potentially much more harmful. And I don't know how... I mean, I know Rodney Croom is fighting really hard for it, and I know that there are LGBTI organisations that are. Anthony Albanese, happy to be photo, you know, photographed with all the religious le- leaders that he's meeting with, will not meet with the LGBTI community. And, th- and when you ask them about it, they're like, Mark Dreyfus has. Other Labour people have. Yeah, has Albo? No. Mark Dreyfus is in all the things. I go to these human rights law dinners and I host them for Refugee Legal. He's always there. And I respect him doing that because often Labour gets a pretty good bashing at those things. But it doesn't seem to really... As, as, as it, it should. As it should. It doesn't seem to change much. Or, uh, yeah, I guess he's hanging in there um, trying to do something but failing to, I guess, a- actually influence or move the party to the left in any way. The protest was crashed by Avi Yemeni. He was there. So he clearly thinks it's a big deal filming shit and being a, a psycho oh he's the the alt-right loon guy okay yep, yep yep very passionate zionist dude who makes a lot of facebook uh videos that is uh worried about i guess again political correctness destroying australia and uh tearing us down wasn't a wasn't a fan of tonightly what would be <laughs> what did he do about tonightly i just ranted about it a lot online oh i made a, a joke about uh, avengers endgame coming out on anzac day and um tried to illustrate the hypocrisy of the outrage around that particular film being released and uh, ate some popcorn while the last post was played. It was very funny. Okay, it was very funny stuff. Uh, but um, Avi wasn't uh, particularly impressed. Oh. So what is... And I'll, I'll be honest here. I've dropped the ball. I've probably checked out a little bit of this debate and couldn't tell you the ins and outs. And, and I think, you know, the legalese element of this is is probably a, um, a factor in the... Um, it, not being a higher priority of people fighting out there or not being as clear-cut as most people would like. But, you know, in the simplest terms, to set it out for people, I mean, this could seriously... The bill, as written, could entrench the right for religious institutions to fire 
people because of their sexual identity uh, or their orientation or their gender identity, right? Yeah, and demonize and and vilify them because the whole point of it is they're they're really they're two examples when when they are asked about it are uh, Israel Folau saying that gay people are like um, adulterers and thieves and murderers, so basically spreading vilification that is harmful. It's like, can you imagine being an LGBTI person in the ethnic community that Israel Folau is part of, or a, a you know, football loving community that that worships him or whatever, and then having not only yourself being told that you're going to hell and you're basically the same as a thief or a murderer, um, and also your family being told that. Like, that endangers people. That causes harm. And their whole fight is, you know, should be able to do that without any kind of um, consequence. And um, Archbishop Porteous should be able to put out um, leaflets basically accusing, accusing gay people of being a threat to children, um, to everybody in the Catholic community in Tasmania, uh, without any consequence at all. And, like, there was no consequence even as it is. It's just that he was required to attend mediation, which he himself said was valuable. He described it as valuable. And these two things, that, that is too far for them. This is all about yeah. a big push, and they, and if, if you listen to Erica Betzman says this is this was promised to us as a response to the marriage equality thing. Um, well, he doesn't call it marriage equality, but yes, they they say it's promised. Like so, we we had to fight. We had to, you know, decades of protesting. We had no wonder LGBTI people are exhausted after the the, the horrendous process they had to go to just to simply have the marriage law not discriminate against them. But, um. Yeah, they had to go through all that. They had to put through the religious rights, stupid plebiscite thing, demonise. Public money went to the no side to demonise LGBTI people. All of that shit. And then eventually we get... We still had to have an argument in Parliament. We still had... We still didn't... Even after the vote weren't guaranteed actual equality, there's still that whole horrendous political debate demonising LGBTI people. And then at the end of that, the religious rights are like, oh, well, you got something. So what about for us? You fucking lost. We went through all of you, jumped through all your fucking hoops. You, you get nothing. Nothing. You should have yeah. to lick our boots. Our gay <laughs> rainbow boots. You lose, sir. You lost. Like, <laughs> the idea that then the religion, the, 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 these, these, but they didn't lose because the, the entrenched power is such that they're going to get, give, their whole fight is more power to harm LGBTI people. That is 100% what this is about. Whether the specifics of it do it effectively or not, and whether it's got bits that backfire, because you'll see that there's other parts of the religious lobby that are a bit disquieted by the bill, because, like, the problem is it's really hard to draft something that enables Christians to be fundamentalist and harm people around them and impose their view that doesn't also accidentally apply to Muslims as well, which they don't like. Oh, no. Uh, and the business community is like, oh, yeah, but this is going to be really confusing for us. So, like, there's right-wing critiques of it, but none of those give a shit about LGBTI people. The fundamental critique of it is it's designed to harm LGBTI people. They're just trying to figure out how they can do it without inadvertently pissing off themselves in some other way. That's all it's about. We need to be really fired up about it. And and the other thing, the huge other thing, isn't it, Tom, that, that it's a distraction. That So we thought marriage equality, right, cool, we, we've made the progress to get there. Now we can just finish off the last bits where there's discrimination in the law and lack of protections. We'll finish those off and we'll finally have equality and we can move on. We can live our lives, right. not have to go on any more bloody marches. Because the, you know, the reasonable assumption would be surely a country that allows same-sex couples to get married under law and be treated equally like heterosexual couples would not tolerate a society in which religious schools could just fire a kid because that kid comes out. That would be bonkers. Or fire a worker if they come out and, yes. Like, that's right. Discrimin- like, they can't even... Public schools can't protect the kids under this legislation. Potentially, the public school couldn't protect a kid from, being, from homophobic bullying because a homophobic bully can just go, no religious beliefs. Yeah, but a religious school can can yeah expel a kid for being gay, contrary to our our, our views. Great. Yeah. So there are things, big things that we need to be fi- fixing, which is that one about being able to be fired. The the the, power, the exemption from anti discrimination laws for religious 
organizations or even just like affiliated religious organizations i think sanitarium because it's associated with one of the churches can can do it like it's bonkers like a hospital can some business hospital in the city can sack a registrar for being gay what the hell's it got to do with the work I, anyway so that and also these are flower case clearly identifies one of the huge problems which is not that israel flower was able to be sacked because he may or may not be like the problem is employers already have too many powers and that's a whole that's a lefty issue rather than an lgbti issue mm. like fundamentally workers should be allowed to say they, they need to be much better with free speech protections outside of work um but they don't give a shit they definitely don't want to give us those but the lgbti aspect is israel flower is just vilifying people harmfully and there's no consequence because of who his employer is and his employer's got some public impact they're concerned about the impact on them so they fight him but now he's not working for them he can say what he freaking likes there's no nothing restricting him from spreading this vilification because there's no hate speech protection say the the stuff you could say about um you you couldn't say about uh well we've got racial vilification laws to protect for example people from anti-semitism after the second world war because we saw where that led you can say the shit that you couldn't say about a jewish person you can 100 say and get away with it about a trans person or a gay person you can there's nothing protecting LGBTI people, and we're not moving on that. Yeah, yeah. and, and the, the two points I'd made here that are, are constant features of this insane debate that are used in argument, the reason from a religious bigot's point of view, the distinction there is that being gay is a choice, being trans is a choice, this is behaviour that people choose to pursue as opposed to being part of their identity, and also the other side of that is the use of someone's religious affiliation as a form of identity. That is... You know, they would argue that being a Christian is so fundamental to who they are and what they, you know, who they are as a person that you shouldn't discriminate against me. That's unfair. I can't choose, I cannot help but to be a Christian and have these certain beliefs. It's all baked into the cake. I believe this religion, I follow it. Um, and and the, by the letter of the Bible, the Bible says this, and therefore I cannot think anything else. Um, and it's a very, it's, it's a fascinating <laughs> reversal of, of reality, right? People do not choose to be gay. And people absolutely choose which religion they follow. They choose which um, concepts within that religion they will adhere to as opposed to others. Um, a religion is a set of beliefs and principles and ideas that someone subscribes to, that you debate, that you work through, that can change. It's just a, it's just a political belief with a metaphysical element. Right, yes. Well, it's exactly the same as any political belief, except you reckon there's a magic being of some kind. I'm not being dismissive of... And, and conservatives happily play the identity politics on that front too they'll say oh i'm getting discriminated against because of my because i'm a conservative you're like no your conservative views are being criticized that's political debate you crazy mother and in in relation to the first thing so i don't think it matters whether you whether you choose to be gay or not the fundamental issue in in that one surely is there's nothing wrong with it there's no reason why people shouldn't be whether they choose to be or not so freaking what the point is you don't get to tell them what they can and can't do in terms of their private lives and their their relationships. You don't get to discriminate against them because of who they're married to, who they're dating, what they their consensual legal sexual activity is none of your frigging business and you shouldn't get to demonize them for it, vilify them for it, or discriminate against them for it. As with your religion, I'm not telling you you can't go to your I'm not I don't care what you do, what church you go to on the weekend. I don't think you should be able to be discriminated against because you go to a church on the weekend. I do think that the line is where your behavior harms somebody else. An LGBTI person being gay at the way, having a being married to somebody of the same gender, that has nothing to, that doesn't cause you any harm whatsoever. The people who don't who don't who think that's wrong somehow does cause your kids harm if you're telling them that they're wrong for being gay. That causes harm, and you shouldn't be able to do that because that's that's the point where your private belief extends to harming someone else. Like surely that's the line. It's like you can believe what you like internally. I don't share what have whatever views you like, but don't be out there demonizing and vilifying people and causing harm that way particularly 
when you're from a privileged group demonising and vilifying a marginalised group where that causes the most harm. If I say something critical of Christians, they're an incredibly powerful social group in Australia, vastly more powerful than LGBTI people, they're not going to be harmed by it in the same way as if they are out there telling vulnerable gay kids that they're akin to a murderer or a thief. Mm. Like, that causes harm. Totally. The other one doesn't. Now, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, the, these folks will justify that harm we, that we recognise. They wouldn't perceive it as harm. But they can justify it to themselves in that they are trying to persuade someone or dissuade someone from pursuing a certain kind of behaviour, in their view, uh, in the same way they would tell people to not do drugs or what have you. This is a behaviour that you can choose to do, choose to do or not do. It's not a fundamental part of your humanity and who you are and a key essence of your happiness and your sense of a human being. Hmm. And that's how it can be uh, justified. I mean, again, Lyle Shelton has explicitly said, if I believed that being gay wasn't a choice, I would have no choice but to support marriage equality. Of course, I would recognise the fact that if you know this, if people don't choose to be gay then how could i possibly discriminate against them there's literally said i would that. love to see you have another chat with him where you put to him that all of the, so all the anti-gay organize or the gay conversion organizations in the u.s now they've, they've pretty much given up on the idea that you can actually convert people because it keeps yeah. backfiring horribly and so now <laughs> they simply are saying yeah you're probably gay but you're called to be celibate you know we, we recognize that being gay is not a choice but it's still a choice to act on it therefore right. Um, and at, at the moment, I'm following that directive, okay? It's been a while. <laughs> if there are any gay listeners listening to this, hit me up on Twitter. Um, really, really sad times, Jeremy, I've got to say. Well, look, I, I, I was actually hoping originally that Well May We Say could, in fact, be a dating site for guests. <laughs> well May We that's, Gay! That's, that's, Hello! Ah! Righto. Yeah, so, I, look, I I think that in terms of where we are in terms of the politics of, the, of this thing, like... We're being so, they have been really successful in grinding progress and towards equality to a massive halt. So we're not even talking about anti-vilification laws. We're not talking about reining back the privileges they already have to harm LGBTI people. We've got where there was some momentum, it's just collapsed completely. That momentum, we need to not just push back against their attempt to drag us backwards. We need to be up there pushing, being like the project. Fundamentally, project isn't finished. Yeah, we're not there yet. We don't have equality yet. It's not there. So. All the organisations that disbanded after marriage equality <laughs> fire back up again yeah. and push. Like, and the only way that you, if they're pushing backwards, the only way we're going to ever get to like the horrendous position that we're fighting for, which is equality mm. and not being discriminated against, the only way we're going to get there is by pushing back hard. It's really hard motivating people who are exhausted and and like just were like, because it felt that you know how it was sold. It was sold as like, it's done. We've got equality now, but we don't. Not there. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was a lot of concern about the Ruddock review. When are they? When are they introducing the bill into into Parliament? It, it'll be in the next couple of weeks, right? I guess so. We still. The, the, I was wondering actually when the submissions were going to be published, um, and I've sent them an email this morning. I got an automatic email back saying over the next few weeks they'll publish them. So right. the whole process is as shonky as hell. Like they, both big parties are only liaising with the religious right because they're the people who want this legislation, and they're like they're the stakeholders they care about, and they don't give a shit about the LGBTI people. There are LGBTI organisations that are fighting, like Rodney Croom is doing a huge amount of fighting it, and there are people who are lobbying and going around Parliament House trying to talk, but they can't, like, Albanese won't meet with them. Like, it's really outrageous. And Albanese's electorate was, like, 80% in favour of marriage equality. It's it's outrageous that they... That like, how is it that Labor hasn't stood up and just said, we haven't been sold, sold any basis in which there's a genuine issue? None of the examples that they've given are 
real and are a problem. The fact, of course, like what there was some mediation for Archbishop Porteous, so there should have been. He agreed it was valuable. Okay, so Israel Folau, um, that's an employment issue, and um, it's not that nobody's talking at the moment about anti-vilification legislation. Perhaps we should, but that's not on the cards at the moment. There isn't anything public that can do it, and there's nothing stopping him saying he's shit now. Like, why Labor can't stand up and say there's no back? Jeremy, just because someone wants to discriminate against gay people or thinks they're less than human doesn't mean <laughs> they're a bigot, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person just because they're doing things that are bad and hurt other people, okay? We need to listen to these people and not talk that's down to them. That's true. That's Jeremy. Hopefully Labor will listen to Claire O'Neill and realise that the important thing is to respect the personally... Oh! That's the other thing that, that I loved about this this story. And by loved, I mean we're horrified by it, but amused by the, this angle of it. Did you see that the Anglicans in Sydney are busy trying to um, change their actual doctrine to specify that they are opposed to um, gay people and trans people and, and in, in an educational environment, all those sorts of things? Like they're trying to specifically declare it as part of their doctrine so then they can turn around and do those things and say, look, it's part of our doctrine that we just wrote last week. Yeah, Christ. I mean, yeah, that's... That, that dude just kicked people out of the church. He said, please leave. Get out. If you're gay at all, we, we don't have well, any time for you, mate. To be fair, they, they strongly on. believe Insane. in sticking to the orthodoxy that an institution was built with from the very beginning and never reviewing it in any way in the Anglican church set up by Henry VIII so that he could get divorced where the church existed said, no, you can't do that. They don't believe that anything could be got who could have been interpreted the wrong way and could potentially change. No. All right, Tom, I suppose it's time for us to be the as the filthy lefties that we are to uh, speak in defense of the mining industry, environmentalists <laughs> and lobbies. No, no. The people who are protesting against the mining industry who, you know, brutally uh, assaulted four police officers, apparently, according to Awful. the police. And there is no footage whatsoever showing the police repeatedly assaulting protesters like that footage that I'm sure you've seen of a woman standing there and the police with a baton just whacking her from behind <laughs> doing anything they're just whacking her with a baton or the pe- one of them just indiscriminately spraying capsicum spray over a crowd or the bit of them uh pushing a uh, journalist down towards the ground like you know, all of that other footage um but uh you know they say that four of their members got injured although um, i think two of those were because they were in a pylon of their own people trying to drag somebody to the ground and they hurt themselves mm. and i'm not sure what the other two were but um i haven't really i haven't seen the footage of the the uh, alleged assaults on police despite the media being really keen to pretend that that's a real thing that happened anyway tom they, they've inconvenienced mining executives and it's pretty indefensible isn't it uh yes that's the worst crime in the world to um get in the way of <laughs> an executive from Rio Tinto from doing anything. I actually rode through this. I rode past the convention center on my way to interview Sam Newman on Monday for my podcast. And I rode through it. There was so many. My God, what, what a what a day. <laughs> what, a, what a conflicting day. mess of emotions. You must have... Well, nothing was kicking off. I think I guess Monday was the first day of the convention. And yeah, there was a huge police presence and a lot of um, people you could see sort of milling around and you felt like something was about to happen. But yeah, it was just like so many officers. It was remarkable. Um, but I mean, yeah, the footage is horrific. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not one of these who, you know, gets outraged when only when a, a journalist is attacked in any way. But that guy from Channel 7 was just clearly being uh, pushed and intimidated. He was there to cover the protest, which is important. And yes, I think a lot of, of the journalist class was sort of clutching their, clutching their pearls that, oh my God, one of us could be affected by this and could be treated badly. And maybe the police aren't all, always amazing. And maybe they're... Um, they're just set up and used by the state to entrench power and protect the the wealthy and powerful. 
But I mean, I, I just think, you know, the people who put their bodies on the line there, the protesters are, um, are you know, heroes, I'd, I'd say. Yep. And I think the fact, I mean, Scott Ludham put it um, well on social media. He's like, this is what it looks like when your social license to operate is ending. You know, this is when people are alongside Extinction Rebellion and lots of other groups are sort of saying, we're going to literally put our bodies on the line here to do everything we can to stop the facilitation of business as usual. Um, and that, that that has to be done. The fossil fuel industry is killing the planet and uh, they shouldn't be able to meet um, nicely and quietly. And um, I can only imagine that more of this stuff's going to happen in the future. Although the Labor government, so it's the Labor government in Victoria and they don't seem to be critical of the police. The bit that gets me is how much of the police have been able to put out um, where they are. So they 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 commented on the response on the um, pushing the, journal, the Channel 7 journalist around and they're like, well, he was refusing a direction. And you're like, you look at the footage, it's like, he was trying to follow. And in any case, like simply telling somebody, issuing a command, it's not a, it's not a police state. It's not supposed to be. The police don't get mm. to just issue commands and have people just, and get to just sort of punish people who don't immediately comply. I don't say they, they frame it like um, when they make an order and then somebody's, and then somebody doesn't obey it. They're like, well, they'll we'll charge you with obstructing emergency personnel. Yeah, but you're not going to an emergency. You're not like, you make it sound like they're blocking an ambulance or something, which they're not. When they're, what, all you're doing mm. is basically you're projecting power and demanding that they obey and punishing them with all the means that you've got to hurt them, like hitting them with batons, pushing them to the ground, um, spraying them with, with pepper spray. There was one from the um, from Frigo at Melbourne Uni. There was a journalist down there who was like, um, they, they sprayed her and she was, eight hours later, she's still you know, red-faced and bur- like, but it's horrific, it's horrific stuff. Mm. And it was sold as like an alternative to using firearms, not as an alternative to be like, well, I don't like you guys, I'll just spray you all with it. It's really disturbing that there's all this footage that I don't see how any fair-minded person can't look at it and go, no, the cops really shouldn't be allowed to do that. Mm. And they haven't had to address it. Even the politicians who, who believe the police that the police were injured, it's still not the police don't get to go, oh, we were injured by protesters, therefore we get to harm whoever we like. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not law and order. Law and order I started like, it. Well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what? But the footage of them just hitting people with batons and not just like, you know, pushing them sort of thing. Like literally the guy's got, and they, they, they look as menacing as they can. They've got the, the dark sunnies on. They're, they're like, they're, they're covering their numbers and they're just whacking people with batons. Like that's not, those people need to be found and charged. That's not policing. Mm. That's, that's really dangerous. It's brutality. Yeah. It's straight up brutality. I think from every impression I've got from these protesters, they're, they're made, the initial activity where they start from is chanting. It's sitting down. It's blocking the path of people walking huh. in. Um, I don't know if there is any kind of physical... I think there was a report of someone spitting in the face of a mining executive or what have you. And and look, and the truth is, look, if people do that behaviour, they are doing that... I mean, I, I, I assume you can be charged with some level of assault if you spit in someone's face in public. I'm sure there's some kind it's of offence there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... The, the cop whacking people with his baton. That is an assault. Right. It's not a lawful assault. Sure. Like, so people how, are doing, how do they argue that's an... Yeah, and people are doing are doing these protests going in fully aware that they are going to break some laws and cause some offences, and that's what they're prepared to do because they believe in in the climate crisis. They believe that something has to be done about that. Um, and that's the way it goes. And I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a slightly different tenor between these kind of protests, you know... Um, targeting mining executives as opposed to disrupting people in the middle of the city, just in terms of like public endorsement of their kind of activities. I mean, I'm on board Extinction Rebellion oh. generally anyway, but I think there's certainly much more 
um, sympathy and shock at the kind of police behaviour that we're seeing at this at this particular um, protest event than than you know um, the events of the Extinction Rebellion in spring shutting down shutting down the city. Um, and I can only imagine that over time the media angle just can't be the protesters like. Because that story isn't that story going to get old? You're going to see pretty similar stuff of you know people regularly protesting in a similar way, again and again and again. And hopefully the story will move from look at these people protesting, look at what they're doing, the way the police is behaving, to let's talk about the shit they're actually protesting. Why are people doing this so consistently, again and again and again? What is it that is animating these people so much, and why aren't we doing anything about it? I'd like to think that'll happen. I'm I'm hopefully, pessimistic. Yes. Did you see this? They're very good at just <laughs> playing the man, not the ball. Did you see this footage from Michael McCormack, who is the Deputy Prime Minister, horrific though that is, just running some classic old-timey right-wing smears about people protesting if they're from the left? Hit it! We've seen shots of the protesters outside this mining conference this disgraceful. morning. They don't have Absolutely a point? Absolutely disgraceful. And here's a, here's a tip for the national media. Don't give them so much publicity. I mean, that's what they, they crave. They absolutely want to have their uh, Facebook and social media statuses updated by, by this sort of thing. I mean, mining and resources provides a lot of, lot of money, uh, particularly for the welfare payments that a lot of those people are no doubt on. Don't give them the publicity. There's a tip. Oh, that's some unfunded empathy right there, <laughs> right there, I reckon. Jesus Christ. It's just, I mean, I... I don't know. I guess we talk about the cliches of what conservatives are like all the time that it must be so weird to hear that stuff actually coming out of your face. Just being these hippies are poor people. They're on the doll. Uh, they should be, they should have the book thrown at them. They don't have any intellectual content behind what they're doing. I'm right. These people are idiots. Let's move on. Mining executives rule. Like, just to be a caricature <laughs> of your side of politics like that. It's insane. But that's what they have. We see that all the time, that their their entire rhetorical approach seems to be dismissing the legitimacy of people to have views. And you see that every time there's a protest. Like, they don't... they don't Protest is not a thing that generally benefits the right. The right are generally the status quo. So, protest is what you do when you don't control media organisations. Um, you don't... We're, we're not that many uh, lefty commercial media organisations or lefty commercial newspapers. We, uh, it's almost like lefties aren't you know, generally rich billionaires who own the media. It's odd. Anyway... So, yeah, lefties have to resort to protests. So it's easy to demonise them as being, well, hang on, how have they got the time to be out there? They must be unemployed. They're leeching off you. Just every bit of resentment. You, like, if their message is one that benefits people generally, the strongest attack is to be like, you're paying for them mm. to do it. Yeah, they're, they're sponges. They're the ones who are, who are gouging you. Don't listen to what they're saying. They don't. It's not. A, they they don't even deserve to have a say. Yeah, exactly. Anyone receiving any welfare benefit at all from uh, from uh, from the state um, cannot uh, agitate for any change to the world as it is. They should be stripped of any kind of political voice. Uh, they should be happy that they that we're keeping them alive <laughs> with the basics. Of our of you know of, of of material conditions in order just to live a life, you should shut up and uh, sit at home all day and just be ashamed that you don't have a job. Oh, look, as, as I used to say to the revolutionaries in uh, France in, in the 18th century, I used to say, "Look, you people aren't putting very much money into any of the resources, any any of our our, our state. You've, you've barely got anything. You're peasants. You're, you're not contributing. Yep. And frankly, um, it's not up to you to be out there protesting and calling to." Uh, uh, overthrow us and uh, take us all to the guillotines. It's just outrageous. Uh, who do you think you are, you peasants who don't put anything in uh, in terms of public money because you don't have anything? Um, 
get stuffed. Uh, you know, and I, I feel like that's a sustainable position for us uh, in the French monarchy to take, and everything will be fine. Just you, all you peasants, shut up and go home. I'm sure a lot of these people have jobs at Lush or at Friends of the Earth. <laughs> or, uh, you know, lentil as anything. I'm sure that's where they work and they're having a lovely time. Maybe they took the day off work. Maybe they're in this flexible economy, <laughs> in the flexible hours. They have time to go down to the mining. Uh, I mean, I had time to go interview Sam Newman, for God's sakes. Good luck to him. Well, I was just wondering about that because I, I feel like the Sam Newman thing, I haven't heard the first part of it, but I, I suspect that, that a large part of his worldview is that he can dismiss people from the left as being a bunch of insert all the horrible stereotypes that he will undoubtedly have of lefties. Like, I feel like it's just a shorthand for dismissing, for not having to think about the argument. Yeah, totally. I mean, yes, yes. I mean, the character assassination on on people on the left, on anybody across the board, uh, particularly on protesters, is always there because that allows you to ignore the thing that they're calling attention to and it just allows you to focus on uh, these idiots. That's why, you know, those stories of if, if one protester as part of a movement has some dodgy thing from their past that'll be dug up and put on the front page of a paper to oh, demonize yeah. them and to allow people to dismiss them very easily and of course everyone should be everyone should be a quiet australian right you should all be quiet and just let us the people in power carry on as we are and not challenge us ask for us for any kind of change or reorganization of society well, Andrew, Andrew bolt found a um spokesperson from from social alternatives this sort of young uni student age sort of um, young bloke uh, who did not stand very well in in a, in a 12 minute interview with Andrew Bolt uh, who you know it was not exactly an even matchup and Bolt's like oh name one of the countries where your socialist ideals have been tried that worked and the guy's like uh because the guy the guy is not necessarily a well thought through person because apparently he's advocating Cuba as a, as a suggestion of, of a socialist place that works so like mate <laughs> Right, there are there are much better arguments that you could be making, but look, yeah, they found somebody who couldn't argue the case very well, and so they put them up there. They can they can speak for the people, and and then you can dismiss it. Like when he's asked about the the harm that the police claim that they suffered, he's like, yeah, but you, what about the violence to us? Rather than saying, don't think we did. If they did, then it was uh, certainly not endorsed by us, and we haven't seen any footage of that. Uh, meanwhile, how on earth does that justify the police assaulting us? Uh, when if, even if even if somebody from the crowd had in fact somehow harmed um, a police officer, that's not a justification for hitting. You see the footage of somebody being hit with a baton. She wasn't doing anything. Spraying a crowd with with um, pepper spray. They weren't doing anything. Pushing that journalist around. There's plenty of footage of the police assaulting people. And by all means, if if somebody from the climate protest has harmed somebody else. We're a non-violent protest. We don't support that. So, mm. you know, be, by, by all means, show us the footage, charge them. That's fine. But simultaneously, where's all the outrage from people like you, Andrew Bolt, about the police assaulting people with batons? You say you, you want the, the, you know, you say you support the right to protest. Well, what about the woman who's just standing there and the police are hitting her with a baton? How's that okay? Like, I think if anyone gets booked on Sky News or any of those programs, it'll just, like, fuck off any kind of argument or going back and forth with Bolt. Just use it as another chance to protest. Get out a sign. Just troll them. Whatever you like. Just go viral. Go on those shows. Go viral and and further the message. I don't think you're going to get very far trying to convince uh, Andrew Bolt or his viewers that um, uh, protesting is good and the police are at fault. I would I would hold up a sign. Well, do something funny. Say, here's the footage. Wear a funny suit. Hold the footage play up. The footage. Hold the footage up. Look, yeah. here's the footage. Here's the footage. Can you see the police officer whacking this person? Here's on my phone. Look. Yeah. They will always pick the person who they can present to their audiences, fitting their prejudices as well as possible. And and it's not like everybody who's at the climate protest 
would have nominated that bloke to speak for them. In the same way as, weirdly enough, Tom, you and I, progressives, I would say, um, I don't think we nominate Claire O'Neill to speak for us, but apparently she's what progressives are, according <laughs> to the front page of The Australian. Oh, dear. Uh, it's horrifying. We're all doomed. Okay, so uh, something positive to end on. I'd like to plug your plug- podcast. Oh. That's a positive thing, except this week's is about Sam Neill. <laughs> Sorry, I'll say oh, it again. I'd love to talk Except to this Sam week is about Neil. Sam Newman. That'd be great. If only. Okay, well, apparently we're leaving this in now. Yes, no, apparently it was Sam Neil. If it was, it was Sam Newman. Why are you not interviewing Sam Neil? I know. I'd love to talk to Sam Neil. He's great. Uh, yes, it's a two part of Sam Newman. But I have lots of guests from across the political spectrum. I've got some sweet, sweet lefties coming up uh, on the list. It comes out every week. It's called Like I'm a Six Year Old, and uh, I reckon that listeners of Well May We Say will enjoy it very, very much. It's on all the places on iTunes and stuff. And if you're an existing listener, I'd appreciate any kind of word spread or iTunes reviewing or what have you. There's a Facebook group and there's a Patreon and stuff. You can get involved if uh, you want to go a little bit deeper into the Like I'm a Six-Year-Old world. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And and while you're on both of those websites, the iTunes reviewing and the Patreon websites, you can, in fact, leave a positive review for this podcast as well. Or, in fact, subscribe and be a supporter through Patreon of this podcast. You could do both because it's like you can go to one website and do both at the same time. Do both. It's... Like that that is the kind of synergy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Alright, so in terms of positive things, alright, I'm horrified by where our civil liberties seem to be at the end of end of those. I guess we need to just talk all talk more about um the two things I want to leave with, I just think we need to be making sure that it is impossible for them to keep misrepresenting the pro- the, the police violence thing as being like, no, no, the police were the victims. That's really because this is just this like kind of underpins everything. If the police can get away with this like somebody pointed out, if they're doing this to white people in front of cameras, mm. what the hell are they doing to more marginalised people away from cameras? Mm. Like this is kind of an existential sort of a thing. Like we kind of need to, apart from the existential crisis of like the climate crisis and so forth, um, this particular one feels like this is the week to be highlighting that. And in terms of the religious discrimination bill, I don't know, uh, Tom. Do you have any like how do we get the LGBTI community and and the progressive community fired up to recognise? The harm that is being done by leaving the job not finished and the harm that is going to be done by them getting to push it back, mm. which is what they're trying to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, that like, really worries me. Yeah, publishing these submissions will be interesting. I Look, I think inevitably, I mean, even even when something's being debated in Parliament, the amount of coverage it, it, it gets will be um, limited. I mean, there was a few, you know, there's that... Um, Press gallery, uh, the press club, the press debate. club thing. Yeah, with, d- yeah. You know, so it's getting a little bit of coverage out there. I think the rubber won't hit the road until um, the legislation actually hits uh, Parliament is introduced, and we're going to actually see that debate played out. Um, but you know, people like Sally Rugg, um, who was a, a key factor in the marriage equality movement, she's out there talking about stuff. Ros Ward is out there talking about stuff. I think you know, allies like Alex Greenwich and, and those kind of people. Adam Bant spoke at the rally in, in Melbourne as well. Um, sure, they're the usual faces, but they're there and they're attuned to it. And I think, yeah, I guess it's it does a feel a bit like it feels a bit like two thousand and four again, really. Like just trying to get people paying attention to it again. That's the kind of you know when the Greens were at the rallies and that. Yeah, make sure we don't lose that momentum. And I think you know we just need you just need to put it in terms that people can understand. I mean, if you know to say this legislation will make it legal for a um, will entrench rather hmm. uh, religious schools' rights to uh, expel students who are gay or um, if someone is gay and they're discovered or found out they could be fired from their job i mean i think that really speaks to people because the personal stories that oh. were keyed into the marriage equality you know your your brother your cousin your neighbor the person you meet at work down at the coffee shop you know they, they're just like you they would like to be treated equally before the law um it's very it's pretty easy to it's almost easier really to imagine the idea of you know everyone hates the idea of being fired 
Um, everyone's insecure when it comes to work, basically, or most people anyway, and it, oh. or at least can understand the fact of getting fired would really upset your life. There's lots of reasons why people get fired, and the idea that you would be fired simply for being who you are or because you get married... Um, oh yeah, I mean that's that's a new one too. Like marriage yeah. equality can specifically lead to this because you get yes. married, they find out that way, and then they sack you. Yeah, insane. <laughs> um, so you know, I think that's there, but obvious. And I and I reckon there'd be quite a few. I don't I don't know the makeup of um, level of support within the Liberal Party on this. One can only imagine that someone like Tim Wilson is maybe has some reservations on this. I know he's freedom boy, but surely he can. Uh, perceive some levels of uh, of issues, or we'll, we'll try to support some amendments. I don't know if, if we'd Let, ever possibly vote against it. Let's not rely on Tim Wilson. Yeah. Certainly, Tim Wilson for anything ever. <laughs> but, <laughs> He's a bad yes. person. Keep it up. It'd be interesting to see what those submissions are like when they're published. Yeah, I feel I feel like the remnants of the Just Equal campaign there needs to be breath breathed into those embers, and it needs to, because I get. Because I hate myself, I still get the I get emails from the ACL and I get emails from those. <laughs> the, what, Marriage Alliance turned themselves into Binary, which is an anti-trans organisation. And I get their horrible emails, but they are organised. Like what they call themselves Binary? Yeah, they, Binary. Because because there's only men and women, Ugh. Tom. There's nothing else. Jesus. Okay, Christ. there's something to sex people. We acknowledge that they exist, but they don't really like. We pretend that they don't exist, except for when somebody calls them. And we're like, okay, fine, but there's not many of them. Ugh, that's wild. Yeah, no, they're horrible. It's that horrible Curly Smith. Oh yeah. But my point is that they're still organized so during the marriage equality thing yeah just equal was sending out emails there was there was a, a organized body on the equality side and it, there's it's disappeared after marriage equality and the other side hasn't and i feel like that whole infrastructure needs to be built up and it does it needs to not go away until we actually have equality and then it needs to sort of be sitting there in defense ready to fire up if there's if mm. it's needed like some kind of superhero force but, but the fight isn't finished in the first place so it shouldn't have dismantled and itself. full credit to and solidarity with and support for religious organizations who are coming out against this yeah that's both religious queer people themselves but also you know progressive churches um from across the religious spectrum who are you know putting it out there i think i think they're really powerful because people could say hey there's not just one conception of christianity here that is the acl's version in fact it's quite a minority view um and it's perfectly possible to be a uh, person of faith and not hate queer people and um and we, we have no interest in having or having a right entrenched to discriminate against people. We view people um, of different sexuality or sexual orientations and gender identities as part of our faith community, and that's that's a good thing. Um, I think they're um, I think they're really powerful advocates. So shout out to them too. Yeah, good on them. Cool. All right. Well, let's all ponder the uh, how, how we get that that mechanism and that infrastructure fired back up again, because uh, I think if we don't. We're going to be out-campaigned and 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 harmed, mm. and we're going to go some steps backwards. So hopefully, hopefully people listening, and hopefully people in the yeah, the people who were doing that are able to fire up, and hopefully the rest of us are able to support them back in the way that we were supporting them through marriage equality as well. Because I'm just scared, Tom. <laughs> it feels like it's all going to shit. You're scared. What about my application to my local Catholic school? <laughs> <laughs> It's my dream job! And and you're sitting there still on tenthooks, like, will your plea for a date have actually been successful? <laughs> I can't get people listening to the podcast to, to tweet me comments about the episode at Well May We Say, despite begging for it repeatedly at the end of every episode, because it would make me feel like this was part of a conversation, and much more, you know, it would be nice to participate in that discussion. I can't get people to do that, but maybe, but maybe they will be willing to tweet at Well May We Say in order to date you, Tom. 
Maybe, maybe that's the ace in the hole. That's what they've been waiting for. At Tom C. Ballard. Yes, please, get involved. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you, Tom, for coming back. Thank you, Alec Lum, for the artwork. Thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. Thank you, everybody, for coming back. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.